Psychotherapy with Dr. Afia, this podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my third season, I'm sitting on the couch with influential psychologists, and I'd love to invite you to listen in as we explore the significance of mental health, the important relationship between psychologists and our communities, why culturally informed wellness is important to us, and even some common myths about our work. In this episode, we will discuss the psychology of hair, mental health, and a variety of topics we'll be covering with our special guest, Dr. Lisa Witten. And so I'll give you a bit of her bio. Dr. Witten earned her bachelor's degree in psychology and anthropology at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor in 1977, and her PhD in clinical psychology from the Derner School of Psychology at Adelphi University in 1982. Her scholarly work focuses on bringing race and culture to the center of the psychology curriculum, the challenges and rewards of teaching about race and culture, and on survival guilt in African-American college students. Since 1986, Dr. Witten has been a faculty member in the psychology department at the State University of New York College at Old Westbury since 1986. For nine years, she coordinated the delivery of academic accommodations, developed programs designed to reduce the stigma of disability as the director of the Office of Services for Students with Disabilities. Dr. Witten has been a very active member of the Association of Black Psychologists for over 35 years serving five terms, five, Mm -hmm. as president of the New York chapter. She is currently co-chair of the National Ethics Committee. In 2009, she was honored by the organization with the Distinguished Psychologist Award for her scholarship and her service, which focused on engaging and empowering student members. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is so exciting to be with you. Um, We have been on a board together in New York, so it's great to be able to see you every year at the convention for ABCI. Yes, it's good to be here. Thank you. So uh, I'm mindful that this is a very short bio compared to all the Mm. life that you've lived. (laughs) I'm curious, how did you decide to become a psychologist? Oh, I, I would say that It had a lot to do, like with so many of us, my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a fair amount of mental illness in my family, Mm -hmm. and I was aware of things that didn't quite make sense to me as I was growing up, and I had my own depression Mm -hmm. uh, that I was dealing with ever since I was a child. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, I'm 63, and I've, I've tried. Yes. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. I've tried to find um, articles on when the field of mental health started acknowledging that children could be depressed, mm-hmm. and I th- it was it was before, rather soon after I was um, a child. Mm-hmm. You know, um, growing up in the uh, late 50s and early 60s. And so for partly for that reason, I don't, it wasn't diagnosed, but my grandmother used to say to my mother, Eloise, don't you think she looks kind of sad? And I was, I was sad, apparently, you know, I was. And so it's, it was that. And um, just, uh, I, I also attribute it to the, a movie that I saw called David and Lisa when I was 16. 
I always wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to work with people um, and not papers or numbers or any of that. Um, and this movie was about a psychiatrist who worked with schizophrenic young people. And I was just impressed by his ability to get underneath what they were saying, you know, the, the word salad and the uh, statements they were making that didn't quite hang together. And I said, hmm, I, I think I'd like to do that. And, uh, but I knew I wasn't going to medical school. That was out <laughs> of the question. And um, I decided when I was 16 to be a psychologist, and I, I stayed with that. that. That's a commitment from yeah. 16 to sixty. Yeah, yeah. And that movie has been uh, remade. Uh, with Sidney Poitier as mm-hmm. the psychiatrist. And I think his daughter I, was one of the uh, cast members. I'm not sure, but I know mm-hmm. he was the uh, the psychiatrist in the remake. It, yeah. It's about 10 or 12 years okay, old. Okay, I have to check this out. Mm-hmm. I have to check it out. I guess Show my name my being in the title might have had something to do <laughs> with it. Attracted you to watch it. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of how we really use our experiences to motivate our careers in terms of like me search to really understand how mental health works and looks um, mm-hmm. within lives. Mm-hmm. And so I'm also then curious um, how you negotiate mental health as a psychologist. How do you care for, explore, and go in depth in exploring your mental health while simultaneously being a professional in this mm-hmm. work? Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's, it hasn't been easy for me, and um, actually, uh, I just submitted a manuscript to the journal Professional Psychology that's focusing on the lived experience of mental health professionals who, who have mental illness. Mm. And one of my colleagues uh, turned me on to it, uh, and... So I submitted an, a manuscript about my experience living with depression, and it was later diagnosed as, I was later diagnosed as uh, living with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had a serious manic episode in 2000 to 2001 that I wrote about in, in that essay and talked about some of the things I recommend that could have cut my episode shorter mm-hmm. and that could have helped me. So that was a, an aberration. I was taking the wrong medication, and mm-hmm. because of my biology and my, uh, my genetics, mm-hmm. uh, that medication pushed me into a manic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, because of my anxiety and my depression, I've, I've had to struggle with um, my feelings about the work I was doing. And I think one of the ways I took care of myself was by stepping away from the clinical work full-time. Mm-hmm. It was just very hard for me. You know, sometimes I hesitate to talk about this because I don't want to discourage students mm-hmm. or people thinking about going into the field, but in a way, I guess it's good for them to know that there are people who decide, who get a degree in clinical psych, and then there, there are things that make it hard. Mm-hmm. So I was working on an inpatient unit, and, it, you know, the people on a, in a city hospital inpatient unit are, are having a very difficult yes. time. And uh, we used to call them back then um, multi-problem folks, you know, and they were dual diagnosed and triple diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And they all had very tough histories. Mm-hmm. And hearing those stories for me was very, very 
painful. Mm. And I, I enjoyed the work. I thought I was good at it because um, I tease my mother. My mother uh, always has some word-finding difficulties, and her brain is kind of different. And I, she would just throw out whatever word came to her mind close to what she was saying. And I tease her and say, that's why I understood schizophrenic so well, <laughs> because I was always trying to figure out what she was saying. But I, I was so I was good at that. I wasn't afraid of them. I, I thought it was interesting work, but it was too draining. Mm-hmm. So through the New York chapter, the Association of Black Psychologists, I learned about the position at SUNY Old Westbury. And um, I interviewed and I got the job. And uh, before that, I had started teaching um, as an adjunct, and I liked the teaching. So I decided to move away from the full-time mm-hmm. clinical work. If I could have done it part-time, That would have been better, but at that time, they weren't letting you work there part-time. So part of how I've taken care of myself is by um, moving away from full-time clinical work and um, teaching, and I still do, you know, what I call short-term counseling with students who come in with issues, Mm -hmm. and I did have a a small private practice Mm -hmm. for 26 years. Okay. <laughs> well, and I, and I mean very small, uh, just a few patients a week. Mm-hmm. But um, I, again, um, decided to, uh, I call it semi-retirement, and I closed my practice um, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that, so that's another way mm-hmm. of taking care of myself. I, I try to be aware when I'm ready to stop mm-hmm. doing something and uh, instead of saying, oh, you should keep going or that's not what you you know, you should find a way to do it. I, I, I've always tried to find a way mm-hmm. to do what I was doing. I've had a lot of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which has made a difference. Um, <laughs> and have you been seeing the same person throughout or no, have you changed? No, no, no. I've seen cognitive, behavioral, psychodynamic, uh, humanistic. Uh, <laughs> the whole I've, textbook. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I take medication. Mm-hmm. So I've seen psychiatrists. So Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it's a multi-pronged approach in terms of mm-hmm. recognizing what your stressors are mm-hmm. and limiting those experiences. Mm-hmm. And one of the most stressful experiences, from my opinion, and sounds like yours, is being um, in this therapy role when that can be very draining mm-hmm. and um, emotionally uh, tolling in terms of pulling at your repertoire or reserve and um, sharing with others. And it sounds like you've really been able to focus on self-care mm-hmm. um, in that way. So so are there any things that you're doing in terms of food or exercise, mm-hmm. creativity that also helps with mental health? Yes. Um, I, I'm not as good with exercise as I used to be, and I'm working on getting back to it. I like walking and yoga and uh, dance. Uh, don't get to dance enough. <laughs> um, and I definitely um, have the creative part on, in hand. Um, I make beaded jewelry. I do tie-dye. I knit. I sew. Um <laughs> And I really enjoy the beading because my mother, my sister, and I do it together. Aww. So um, whenever we travel, we find a bead store and, you know. So, so is the, this your work here that this, you're wearing? This is one that I restrung. Okay. <laughs> it's not my original work, but I, I did re- redo it because it was broken. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, I'm a photographer. Yes, you've taken my picture before. Yes, I just sent some to you. And I was the official photographer for the Association of Black Psychologists convention in 2015 oh. because our 
other psychologist, official photographer, uh, Halford Fairchild wasn't there that year. Okay. And that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of work and a lot of fun. All right. So the official photographer mm-hmm. for um, black psychologists. Now, I'm mindful, too, that you have um, done writing and research as well. And I know I was hugely impacted by a chapter that you wrote in um, a book about psychotherapy with African-American women where mm-hmm. you, your chapter was focused on hair and understanding the mother-daughter dynamic mm-hmm. using hair for black women. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that work mm-hmm. and how you decided to do that and mm-hmm. even follow up on that type of work. Okay. Well, that was a chapter that I co-authored mm-hmm. with a, a well-known psychologist, uh, Beverly Green, and um, a social worker. She calls herself a clinical social worker, Judith White. Mm-hmm. And we worked on that for a couple years. Years. Yes. And it was, um, it was very emotional because my hair has always been a source of stress for me. It was a source mm-hmm. of stress. And I... Part of why I was interested in hair was because of the because my mother's hair is very different from mine. Hmm. It's uh, sort of naturally wavy, and uh, it grew to her shoulders. And my sister and I used to always sit and comb it and wish that our hair would be longer. And hmm. I ended up with nappy hair. And she uh, didn't know, my mother didn't know how to press hair. She didn't press hair. She <laughs> certainly didn't know how to use a curling iron. That, that was like, you know, out of the question. She, she learned some things, but, um, and she got, she was criticized for the way she handled our hair. She, mm-hmm. she let our hair be natural. And um, she, she was criticized uh, by her mother. And I just, um, I remember children telling me, oh, your mother's hair is so pretty, and uh, since hers was so different from mine, I figured, oh, that means mine's not pretty. Mm -hmm. And um, just all the messages about um, nappy hair and uh, needing to control it, and uh, then um, we got perms Mm -hmm. very early. Let's see, that would have been like the mid-60s when they they were new. And that was not good for our hair. We didn't know that we needed to keep conditioning it. And my hair dropped out, mine and my sister's, um, up to like the middle of the back of our heads, <sighs> down to the new growth. Fortunately, it wasn't in patches. Yeah. But I, I've realized that that was traumatic for mm-hmm. me. Um, uh, we didn't talk about it much. My mother, being very creative, did some of the first uh, weaves. <laughs> uh, she, she put hair on a piece of fabric and put it in the back and tied it in the front and put the other hair covering the piece of, so I had hair down to here like I wanted and she uh, gave us little ponytails and all kinds of stuff. Um, Cause she, as I say, is one of the most creative people I know in many ways. Mm-hmm. But that still felt like your hair's not good enough. Mm-hmm. We gotta do something to it. It needs, needs to be added to and uh, and I know that my mother was trying to help us feel better about our hair because mm-hmm. um, of what had happened to it and everything. So because of all of that background, talking with other women about my experiences with hair, uh, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we talked in the chapter about how women learn so much about their sexuality 
and their um, gender identity and from their mothers in, in relation to how their hair is handled mm-hmm. and how important it is to deal with our hair in some way or another. And we talked about how for, for black folks, there's so many things that we can't control in our lives and our hair is something we can control. And I think that's part of why it becomes such a big issue and how uh, mothers are really evaluated based on, in part, how their daughter's hair looks. Now, we wrote this, it was published 20 years ago, 19 years ago. (laughs) So that means we worked on it before that. And my thinking has evolved quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So as I was talking, I was thinking, now, did we say that in the chapter or am I... (laughs) you know, editorializing some based on my experience. But I was interested in the topic because of my struggles. And I had done a presentation at um, APA on uh, hair. And I remember talking about um, a little girl I was helping raise, my then current boyfriend's daughter, and how she had a, a Barbie doll. And she was combing the hair and saying, we have to make this hair straight. Mm-hmm. We have to make this hair straight. You know, and I talked about um, how that struck me and how upset I was about it because she had such great, thick, mm-hmm. nappy, beautiful hair. Mm-hmm. So we, we wrote about um, not only the challenges that we have faced with our hair and people telling us that it needs to be managed and controlled and sort of knocked down, and, uh, but also made some recommendations about uh, therapists working with African-American women mm-hmm. who are struggling with issues around their hair and acknowledging that many women across the globe have issues with their hair, mm-hmm. but we were focusing on this particular group. And we just suggested that women be aware of this heavy focus that we place on hair and how it's not that important, you know, and how we we need to acknowledge children's and and help our our girls especially, but our boys too, accept their hair the way it is and not feel like there's something wrong with it all the time. And I think I think I wrote, this is in the chapter, um, I have a goddaughter, Dawn, and she has nappy hair and her mother didn't, uh, didn't permit right away when she was a kid. So every time I saw her, um, and I didn't see her a lot, but I would be sure to say, Dawn, you have such pretty nappy hair. Mm. Because one of the things we talk about is how pretty and nappy aren't in the same sentence even now that much. Um, I remember a sister who wrote a book, boy, and she talked about nappy hair phobia, mm. you know. And I remember being um, in uh, getting a perm. Uh, I've only had a perm a couple times since I was 16. And there was a woman in the room, and she said, you know, um, I've thought about uh, letting my, how did that go? The bottom line is she said, but what would I do with all of those naps? <laughs> you know, and another, you know, just Another time a woman saying, well, I was in the 
uh, beautician, and the man said, oh, your hair isn't nappy, and uh, it's, it's nice and smooth. And she said, my hair doesn't get nappy. She said this in front of a bunch of nappy-headed women, mm. which I did not approve. It's experience mm. after experience after experience, and having very negative experiences with beauticians and barbers. Mm. And um, so we wrote some about that, too. Um, so we want to help, and it's, it's been happening in the last 20 years. Um, and I've been telling young sisters that I see, I'm so glad to see your nappy <laughs> hair. Um, and I, I lament that this is a phase. I mean, you know, everything is cyclical, and mm-hmm. it's not going to last, mm-hmm. I don't think. But it's, it's, I enjoy it now. I'm enjoying it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to uh, find a way to get the message out more. <clears throat> um, I have fantasies of doing a children's book um, really? that would focus on helping girls especially accept their hair the way it is and um, try not to compare it. I have sister locks now. Mm-hmm. Part of why I got the sister locks, um, and folks can look it up at sisterlocks.com, but um, it's um, a particular style of locking. And I wanted long hair. I never wanted blonde hair. Uh, you might remember Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. No, was it? Yes, Whoopi Goldberg had a, a bit about uh, making... Uh, a towel into long hair. Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, my sister and I used to have these turtlenecks, and whenever we would pull them off, they would stay, we would keep them around our head and pretend that they were our hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vanessa Williams was commenting on Whoopi Goldberg's comedy bit, and she said, well, I understand that because every black woman wants long blonde hair. And mm-hmm. I was so upset. I was so upset that she said that uh, because that's not true. You can't say anything about every anybody. <laughs> and I was fully aware that I never wanted blonde hair. I wanted long hair. Mm-hmm. So I got the part of why I got these sister locks is because I wanted long hair and I knew my hair wouldn't grow. Mm-hmm. I was wearing it natural. Um, my girlfriend says that when I was 16, I told her that I was never going to perm my hair again. <laughs> and I had permed it a couple times under pressure from my family. Really? Yes. Mm. That if I didn't perm my hair, I was only going to make it even harder to find a husband. I was having trouble finding a husband. Never mm-hmm. haven't found one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that um, I'm six feet tall. So I've been mistaken for a man. Mm-hmm. I've been called sir. I've been called mister. I've been called he. And my father said, why would you sort of exacerbate that problem by wearing this short hair. And plus, it makes you look militant, and it makes you look, uh, people might not even come, men might not even come over to you because, or talk to you because of your hair. So after years and years, I, I uh, got a Wave Nouveau mm-hmm. and um, wore that for a while, didn't, didn't like it. I remember when I had it cut off, my hand just sort of floated up to my head and I sort of sighed when I touched it. And the woman said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just glad to have my hair back. Mm. And so this has been a very emotional, mm. hair has been a very emotional thing for me. Some, some black folks deal with their skin color. And um, some deal with the shape of their nose or their lips. Or I think because I'm 
not at the extreme end of light-skinned. I'm light-skinned, but not at the extreme end, like my sister, mm-hmm. who has struggled with her mm-hmm. um, her light skin color. And I'm uh, obviously not at the dark end. And my features are sort of medium. Uh, I, it all got focused on my hair and my height, because mm-hmm. <laughs> that is extreme. Yeah. I'm uh, a couple inches taller than the average man. <laughs> so this hair became a heavy, a heavy mm-hmm. focus. And as I say, writing about it was very stressful. Um, I wouldn't say it was healing. It mm-hmm. wasn't healing. Um, mm-hmm. Getting my sister locks has been mm-hmm. more healing. But even then, I was comparing my hair to other women with sister locks. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, mine doesn't look like that, and hers are thinner than mine, and why didn't the woman do this? And then women were telling me that I didn't have real sister locks. <laughs> they were too thick, so no, you're... <laughs> so those are some of the things this is ongoing this mm-hmm. is ongoing but again thinking about how much energy and symbolism mm-hmm. has gone into your hair yes, symbolism in terms of, is yeah, very important mm-hmm. yeah, this social construction of mm-hmm. what it means to be you and what it means to be you with various hairstyles that you've had mm-hmm. but especially how it relates to your ancestry and heritage and your family in particular mm-hmm. and their concern mm-hmm. and even uh, creativity related to um, your hair care process. Mm-hmm. Even <laughs> as um, they were telling me that, my mother, my sister, and my father all caucused and sat me down. It Actually, was an intervention? It was an intervention. That's the way, that's exactly right. When I got there, I, they were in Detroit, I was in New York, I arrived, oh and they, I was wearing my hair very short, and they did an intervention. And um, it was very traumatic mm. for me. And I remember going to talking to about, I don't know, every black man I saw and saying, do you think I need to perm my hair to find a husband? Uh, cra- that was crazy, because what are they going to say? <laughs> but um, they were trying to be nice to me. And uh, <laughs> so it's been um, a big part of my identity. Uh, and I feel that... At this point, I'm, I really do love my hair. Mm-hmm. And um, I had always said that by the time I closed my eyes for the last time, I was going to love my hair. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm there now, mm-hmm. which is really, Ooh. really a relief. Yeah. <laughs> my, my hand's on my heart right now. Uh-huh. This has been a journey. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking about all of the how things shift and changed each decade almost and mm-hmm. um, the various identities that you held on to that um, were represented through your hair. And so it sounds like now you have fallen in love with your hair. Mm-hmm. So so I'm, I'm happy that this is how the story has circled in mm-hmm. that process and that you can have your hair the way that you want it to look. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we talked about so much <laughs> here today. Mm-hmm. I guess I just want you to close out and tell the listeners, I guess give some recommendations to them on how you think they can fall in love with their hair. Mm-hmm. I think a large part of it, I, I must say that I'm. what brings me pleasure now is that there doesn't seem to be so much pressure to wear your hair a certain way. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, you... Everyone wore their hair straightened. And then when I got to college, a high school, virtually everyone had a natural. Mm-hmm. But it was supposed to be a big natural, very, very big. The bigger, the better. And um, then when I got to college, uh, cornrows were in style. Mm-hmm. And 
virtually everyone had cornrows, except a few people. And now I see young, at my college, women with weaves, women with their own hair uh, pressed or straightened, Mm -hmm. women with uh, part of their hair straightened (laughs) and, you know, locks of various kinds and one side shaved off and um, short uh, naturals and cut way down and, you know, the the range. Mm -hmm. And that gives me pleasure because I think the most important thing is to wear your hair the way you want Mm -hmm. to wear it. And I think it's ideal for women and people to be able to accept themselves the way they are, Mm -hmm. recognizing that you're going to make improvements um, and that you might make some adjustments or changes, but that especially focusing on our hair, that our hair is beautiful Mm -hmm. in all its range. You know, my mother's slightly wavy hair and my (laughs) nappy hair that's not quite as nappy as other people and sometimes that's criticized. And um, But all of us have wonderful hair and if you don't have hair for one reason or another, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, But to self-acceptance is so important and so difficult to arrive at. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the things... um, I will really focus on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, for being so open with us mm-hmm. in terms of really exploring your challenges and stressors related to mental health and beauty mm-hmm. and how the story has really um, moved into a place of acceptance. Yes. Both mental health and beauty. Yes, but, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about the mental health issue some, but um, I've worked on a manuscript on it and it, it hasn't been accepted yet. Okay. So I can't say existence. Yeah, but I submitted it to professional psychology <laughs> and people could ask you about it later, I guess, or write to me and see yeah. if it's been published somewhere. Yeah, so how how can people stay attuned and follow up with all your projects and the article even? How can people mm-hmm. get in touch with you? Um, my uh, oh, I'm online on my college's website. Okay. Um, there's a bit about me. We have a, a small web pages. Uh, State University of New York at Old Westbury. And um, so it's oldwestbury.edu. My email address is Witten, W-H-I-T-T-E-N-L, at oldwestbury.edu. That's how people can reach me. And so, as always, you can follow the latest psychotherapy information through our website, psychotherapy.org, and Instagram handle, at psychotherapy. And, of course, if you love this podcast featuring Dr. Witten, please share it for people who feel like would really benefit from hearing her story and her victory. So, in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. Thank you so much. And thank you. (laughs)